for the crimes they're accusing him of. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Money Talk on this Wednesday, the 13th of July. I'm Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. Twitter has filed a lawsuit against Elon Musk after he announced on Friday that it's terminating his $44 billion agreement to acquire the social media company and take it private. Twitter said Mr. Musk, after entering a binding merger agreement, now refuses to honour his obligations to Twitter and its stockholders because the deal he signed no longer serves his personal interests. Mainland Chinese bondholders have rejected a request by the world's most indebted property developer, China Evergrande, to extend the bond payment. It's the first time that local bondholders have refused such a request, putting the company at risk of default on its onshore bonds. It already went into default on its offshore debt in December. Chinese authorities will start repaying victims of what is thought to be one of mainland China's largest ever financial scandals. The scam has led to a run on four banks based in Henan province with hundreds of thousands of people who have deposited money in the banks trying to get their money back since April. Local branches of the China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission said customers will begin receiving payments made in batches from this Friday. And fears about a potential recession have pushed global stocks and commodities lower and government bonds and the US dollar higher. The FTSE All World Index of Developed and Emerging Markets fell 0.8% on Tuesday. Investors have been spooked by business and consumer surveys that indicate a looming US slowdown, fears of an even sharper contraction in Europe, and at the same time the Fed still poised to aggressively raise interest rates this year to battle soaring inflation. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street on Tuesday, stocks slipped ahead of June inflation data due for release later today and the start of second quarter earnings season. The S&P 500 slid 0.9% to 3,819, leaving it down 21% from January's all-time high. The Dow slipped 193 points. That's 0.6%, ending the session at 30,981. The Nasdaq Composite Index dived 1% to 11,265. That's a drop of 31% from the record high achieved last November. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index climbed half a percent. London's FTSE 100 advanced 0.2%. Chinese shares fell for a second day on Tuesday on concerns about COVID cases on the mainland and rising recession risks globally. The Hang Seng fell 279 points, or 1.3%, to 20,845. That's the lowest close since the 27th of May. The tech index slipped 2.1% as heavyweights Tencent, Alibaba and Billy Billy were hit once again after mainland regulators fined the companies for not properly reporting past transactions. 
Bilibili sank 4.4%. Alibaba dropped 5.4%, while Tencent fell 1.3%. Chinese automaker BYD tumbled almost 12% in Hong Kong and almost 5% in Shenzhen after a shareholder, which is rumoured to be Berkshire Hathaway, moved a big chunk of the company's shares to Hong Kong's clearing and settlement system, prompting speculation about a potential placement. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite lost 1% to 3,281. Oil prices have tumbled on fears of lower demand because of a potential recession in the US and Europe and a slowdown in China. Brent crude dived 7.5% to $99.16 a barrel. Gold is down half a percent at $1,726 an ounce. US government bond yields fell and the yield curve remained inverted with the yield on the two-year note higher than that on the 10-year bond. That's often considered a prediction of a recession. The yield on the two-year note is at 3.05%. The 10-year yield fell two basis points to 2.97%. And the US dollar is continuing its meteoric rise. The US dollar index, which measures the value of the US currency against a basket of six other uh, currencies, is at a 20-year uh, high. It's been helped by the euro, which is just a whisker away from achieving parity with the dollar for the first time in 20 years. It's currently trading right now at exactly $1 and a third of a cent. The Japanese yen is near a 24-year low of 136.83. Sterling is trading just below $1.19 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 33 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.74 in offshore markets versus the dollar. And Bitcoin has dropped back below $20,000. It's 4% lower at $19,200. Let's take a check around Asia-Pacific markets, which are just up for the morning. Uh, in Australia, the SX200 off about 0.2%. Uh, stocks moving the other way in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up 0.4%. In South Korea, the Cosby is up half a percent. And futures markets pointing for a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Eight oh nine and a half. Let's wish a happy Wednesday to Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft. Happy Wednesday, Stuart. And good morning and a happy Wednesday to you, Peter. Thank you very much. Also, good morning to Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets. Yeah, good morning, Peter. And over in Washington, D.C., we should find our international economics correspondent, uh, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry. Yes, c'est moi. Here I am. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start off in the markets. This fear about a recession, um, it's having quite a big impact once again. Global stocks lower, commodities lower, government bonds and the US dollar higher. Um, Stuart, do you fear the big R? Do you see a recession coming? Oh, I think it's quite likely. I'm not sure that it's going to happen in the US. The IMF has just said that it doesn't think there will be a recession in the U.S., but uh, uh, who knows? I mean, it's, uh, everything is pointing towards the recessionary uh, period coming up. We've, we've gone through the sort of bull market of stocks. We're in the bear market at the moment, and now we're seeing the impact of uh, higher prices. And, uh, yes, I think there's quite a, quite a good likelihood of a, probably a mild recession, but nevertheless a recession. 
Patrick, we seem to have this perfect storm going on at the moment, don't we? Lockdowns in China, uh, we have disruptions of supply chains, the Ukraine war and so on. It really is having a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think there will be a recession. I, I think the predictive uh, value of the 210 in- inversion is, uh, you know, has been, well, unequivocal. Uh, whereas uh, I think we talked before, economists have picked 20 of the last seven recessions. I think the, 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 inversion, <laughs> yes. of the, the inversion of the curve has, uh, you know, has always uh, preceded a, a recession, and uh, it's a question of how long it takes. It can be between, uh, I think, uh, three or even up to 18 months. Uh, so I think it's on the way, and I think the reason it is is because uh, the Federal Reserve and other global central banks are determined to beat inflation. Uh, and are prepared for a recession as the, the lesser of uh, uh, of two evils. But one mm. uh, qualification to that is labour markets are, uh, are very strong, almost uh, you know across the uh, across the major economies. Uh, and so perhaps, as uh, as Stuart rightly says, perhaps if we do see one, it will be uh, it will be of a, a mild nature. It's, it's true, isn't it, though, that often um, the uh, jobs data, employment remains strong, even as you first start to enter in the recession. It's only later well, that, that starts right, to yeah. come off. Yeah, well, that's right. It's, it's a lagging indicator, isn't it? Um, you know, we all like to look at what, what's happening in the uh, in the job market, particularly for for wages and what it means for central banks. But it is a lagging indicator. Howie, do you see a recession in the U.S.? I've got a feeling, Peter, we may already be in it. But I agree with Stuart and Patrick. I think if we are or will be, it's going to be short because the Federal Reserve is pretty successful. Although I know Stuart might challenge me on that one, but he's quoted the IMF, which I know he knows as an institution. So I I think I'm on uh, perhaps not too thin ice. Look, uh, the Federal Reserve is doing its job. The question is, will they go up another 50 basis points when they meet in two weeks' time? Uh, I think that would push us deeper towards recession if we're not already in it. Yes, but the the whole point of the Federal Reserve is to uh, try to keep interest rates at a reasonable level, but also to avoid, um, if you like, inflation being caused by that. And and, and that's going to be a really tough uh, ask of all central banks, frankly, right now, um, because the central banks are not the ones that are controlling the impact of energy prices. They're not controlling the impact of much higher wages. And I think that you know, when, when we're seeing much higher wages, but not necessarily much higher output, um, this, is, this is likely to cause um, a higher degree of inflation than perhaps would be desirable. We've got crucial U.S. data, inflation data, um, out later today um, on the consumer price index. Investors are obviously going to be watching that extremely carefully. Do you think we're likely to see any signs there that maybe inflation is starting to peak? No. I think the White House has already told us that uh, don't pay any attention to these figures. It was very interesting to watch the White House press secretary say, no, these June figures are premature. Uh, sorry, they're, they're, they're post-fact because gasoline prices have come down since the end of June. And uh, we're expecting, I think the White House clearly is expecting, an increase in the inflation rate, which was, what, 8.6% in May, year on year, uh, it jumping up to at least 8.8%. So, I, you know, myself, I think maybe we're at a very close to peak on inflation, but not yet. Yeah, I'd say I think we're near the... 
the beginning of the end rather than the uh, the end of the beginning. Uh, we still expect inflation to be uh, to be up. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think there are some uh, there is some opinion out there looking for this. Uh, you know, the the rate of the rate to slow down, and I think that's encouraging. So the shock value is perhaps. Uh, gone out of these numbers, but uh, anything with an eight handle, you know, is still uh, is still you know, well ahead of uh, well ahead of any target and where people have experience for uh, well, you know, in uh, well, more than recent memory for uh, you know for decades. What do you make of market sentiment? Investors really can't make up their minds, can they, about stocks at the moment? We seem to get big days up followed by big days. Uh, down the, in the bond markets, it seems three percent on the the ten year is that sort of line in the sand. Every time it goes above it, it then gets dragged back below it. But the the key market, I suppose, at the moment is the U.S. dollar, which is just surging against everything. Yes, and and I think investors are really struggling to understand all this. Um, yes, uh, no one likes uncertainty. That's the that's the watchword of all stock markets. Uh, you know, uncertainty is is a, a real killer for markets, and that's what we're in at the moment. We don't know yet. I mean, obviously the Russia-Ukraine war going on. Um, the impact that has had on energy prices has has been a big cause of uncertainty. We've got COVID, which is continuing to occur, although um, I think in Hong Kong and China, um, the, the reaction to COVID is much more dramatic than probably in most of the rest of the world. But, but there does look as though there might be another wave of COVID coming up. Uh, towards the uh, latter part of this year. And so all of this, uh, none, well, none of it is, in fact, helpful to to stock market potential. And investors are, uh, are voting with their feet, taking their money out, not putting new money in. And uh, I think this is why we're going to see stagnation in the markets for a while. Yeah, look, I would say as far as the dollar is concerned, um, we look at what so-called risk currencies or, or growth currencies, and a lot of those are coming under pressure because central banks and a number of, uh, well, in those economies are raising rates. That is a headwind to domestic activity. Uh, the Federal Reserve raising rates is a headwind to US activity and global activity. Uh, and so those currencies which are linked or, or pro-cyclical to global growth uh, are coming under pressure, and that's keeping the US dollar uh, you know, on a firm, you know, on a firm footing. Uh, we think there's still a little bit further to go uh, uh, in that move. And what about the euro? Patrick, is if I could just add to that, um, Patrick, yep. I think that uh, the strong dollar, the weak yen, the weak euro, in a way could substantially help bring down the inflation in the United States. You've got all those BMWs and Audis coming in. They're going to be priced lower than they would have been. You've also got the Japanese product coming in and the Chinese product. I mean, let's face it, the, the yen and the renminbi tend to move together. And this is an exceedingly low price on the yen. Yeah. So those cars coming from Japan, television sets, computers, etc., are going to be priced lower. I think that's all good. Plus, Peter, you've got some good news on commodities in the States in terms of inflation. Lumber prices, which had shot up, have retraced now 50% lower they're mm -hmm. still up on the year, but they dropped 50% from their peak. The same is true with, uh, with fuel prices have come down, and you've got mm -hmm. uh, corn prices have come down in the last month. Coppers at an 18-month low. Yeah. You know, well, look, it, it's, they're still high, but they're lower than they were a month and two months mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, look, I would agree. I think there's a lot of things coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, which suggests that even though inflation is still high now, that we may look ahead 
uh, to those things where you know, where CPI inflation uh, and PPI inflation, which is feeding into that, uh, is, is starting to uh, is starting to dissipate. Barry, I'm interested by your comment that you think that car prices, you know, BMWs, Volkswagen, Mercedes coming in, will be um, coming into the U.S. at lower prices. Do you not think that many of the car dealers will keep their prices and just increase their profits? That's possible, Stuart. That certainly is possible. Yeah. Look, I we've mean, had a, a roller coaster auto market in the States. We had used car prices a year ago just spike incredibly because there weren't any cars. Mm. And they went way up. Now the market has retraced. And I think uh, what you pose is an open question. It could happen. But there yeah. is competition in the market, and that's a good thing. Well, competition is, of course, vital to help it, it, it uh, keep the prices level. I mean, this, you see, this is the problem that we have in Hong Kong, which is that, uh, of course, we're linked to the U.S. dollar directly, but we don't appear to be seeing any benefit from the strong dollar in lower prices on imported goods. And so that, that uh, mm. where we, we should be seeing probably much lower levels of inflation in Hong Kong, much um, lower prices of goods because of the high level of imported goods. And yet that doesn't happen. Yeah. I think, the, the, look, the OECD has done some good work on this about this uh, imported inflation or uh, deflationary uh, impulse, and it does take quite a substantial move uh, in bilateral currency rates for, uh, you know, that deflationary impulse to come through. Uh, but I uh, you know, agree with both uh, comments, and perhaps it's a case that where consumers see that the dollar is strong and or their currency weak, uh, and so they start refusing to pay these, uh, you know, these higher prices, and that's where the, the competition starts to come in. So perhaps another thing which is, you know, perhaps in that pipe, coming, in, coming down that pipe, which will eventually, uh, you know, cap this uh, inflationary uh, impulse. Yeah. Tell me about China's markets. We were seeing a rebound from their lows in sort of uh, March-April time, but that seems to be reversing now, doesn't it? Since the end of June, the, uh, the China Enterprises Index has lost about 9%. We're seeing even bigger falls now for the, the tech index. Is this sort of flashing a warning sign about the Chinese economy, do you think? I think it probably is, actually. Um, I think there are a number of warning signs out there for the Chinese economy. Um, China has always prided itself on having one of the strongest um, GDPs in the world. It's always been quite high. It's dropped because of COVID. It's dropped because of difficulty exporting and, and the tariffs in the U.S. And I think the discussion with the U.S. about removing some some tariffs is almost of, of, of as much importance to China to help stimulate the economy as it is to the U.S. on, on the perception that it might uh, uh, lower inflation in the U.S. But um, having said that, uh, the Chinese economy is beginning to stall a bit. It's, um, you know, they're still struggling to cope with uh, COVID by having lockdowns and, um, and the like. Although the, the economy is opening up a bit and the markets are opening up a bit, there are, every so often there is another um, COVID outbreak and lockdown occurs. And that, that is causing havoc among uh, businesses within China. Yeah, look, I would say that the economy has stalled. Uh, I think that the, the second quarter, the, da the data we get on Friday, I think will mark the low point. Uh, looking forward, uh, I look at China vis-a-vis you know, -vis relative to the, the rest of the world, where the rest of the world is facing 
uh, higher uh, interest rates, uh, facing a less liquidity, whereas China is still you know, stimulating uh, its economy through both fiscal and monetary. Uh, and I actually see some outperformance of the Chinese economy in the second half of the year uh, relative, to, relative to major economies elsewhere. Now, that doesn't mean that China is going to be able to grow at a pace which drags the rest of the world uh, out of, you know, out of the, you know, the mire or the recessionary uh, threat that we're facing at the moment. Uh, but some of the outperformance of Chinese uh, equity markets over the last couple of months, and if we look at them, say the Shanghai exchange against the MSCI World or MSCI Asia X Japan, uh, I think that can continue. And the, the dollar bond markets in China, that's flashing a warning sign as well, isn't it? We've seen some sharp losses there. Presumably this is a signal of just how important in particular the property sector remains to the economy and the, and the problems there and the impacts they're having on the economy. Yes, and, and we haven't really seen the full effects of the uh, very difficult property circumstance. You know, we, we, you, you've reported already in the news about one very large property company, the world's largest indebted company. But mm. there are plenty more that are like that. And it's how, how is the economy going to deal with this? Because property has been such a large part of the development of China, yet there remain... Um, many tens of millions of property that are empty, that have been built and, and no one's occupying. The, the whole towns have been built with no one occupying them. Um, and, and this has got to be changed. You, you can't build uh, an economy on the back of just a single um, item, a single commodity such as property. Patrick, are you, um, are you convinced by this move to try and bring forward infrastructure spending in China and get local governments to issue bonds uh, to go and fund that? Is that the right way uh, to boost the economy? I'm certainly on the more optimistic side of the, of the view. Um, look, any stimulus, any uh, fiscal stimulus is borrowing from, you know, from future activity. Um, so I don't, uh, I don't deride it uh, quite as much as I've seen some you know, commentators out there. Um, but, of course, the marginal benefit of each, uh, you know, each additional fiscal dollar, you know, fiscal yuan spent uh, you know, is diminishing. Uh, I think it needs to be done. I think the, the quantum of it uh, is somewhat less than we've seen previously. So I, I'm uh, cautiously uh, encouraged. Okay, well, before we go, let me get your comments on a couple of other big stories that are out there at the moment. Twitter's filed a lawsuit against Elon Musk in the Delaware Court of Chancery yesterday after Mr. Musk terminated his $44 billion agreement to acquire Twitter and take it private. Uh, in, the, uh, in the lawsuit, Twitter wrote in the complaint uh, that Mr. Musk, after entering a binding merger agreement, now refuses to honour his obligations to Twitter and his stockholders because the deal he signed no longer serves his personal interests. Bowie, this is going to be one epic uh, law uh, courts case for sure. But also, this is not good for Twitter, is it? I, I rather fear for Twitter, not because... It might lose the case, on the contrary, but it just doesn't leave, leave Twitter with a, a company as very many options after this. Well, I think you've got that right. Look, this, um, this uh, comedy or drama has gone on very nearly three months, and uh, the share price of Tesla is down 42% from its peak of November. Twitter's down 44%, and this isn't over. I mean, you, you, you sort of look ahead towards this Delaware court, but there still could be other developments. I mean, isn't it ironic that when Musk stepped forward to say, you know, Twitter is biased and doesn't 
have free speech. All the Twitter employees, or many of them, said, oh my goodness, we don't let us get hooked up with that fellow. Now, the Twitter people are saying exactly the opposite. Hold it, you promised. You promised to buy us for $44 billion. Now you can't back out. So what do you make of it? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Barry. I mean, the, it is the irony that when uh, Elon Musk announced his, his intent to purchase Twitter, Twitter came out bleating that they didn't want to be bought by him, and now they, now they don't want to not be bought by him. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, does it, really? I presume there's some significance in that his, his bid at $54.20 a share has never been seen since he made that, uh, he made that offer. <laughs> You're right. Yes. Uh, well, we're at all close to a 40% discount now to, uh, mm. to Mr. Musk's bid. So I, I, I'm wondering, is that part of the reason why he's pulling out? Well, I mean, that was, that was one of the other issues. And that was, that he, I think he, his intent was to make it a cash bid. And as a cash bid, the, the price is fixed. If he had made it a, a sort of all-share offer, then he would have probably benefited from the floating share price. Okay. Now, Barry, I know you like, uh, Stuart, I know you like commenting on the UK. So let's get your thoughts on the, uh, the election to succeed Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. There's basically uh, eight candidates left. They're all going to try and eliminate each other until they get down to two by the end of next week. It does seem like tax is a big issue. They're all promising to cut tax, apart from ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak, who says that's um, unviable. And the UK economy... Uh, Stuart, it's really gone off the rails, hasn't it, in the last couple of years? Um, I don't think the UK economy has gone off the rails. That's that's, that's a media... Here, here. Uh, I think that's a media uh, perception. The economy is doing extremely well, given the circumstances. It is still strong. Um, it is uh, going forward. It's And, and, and you've got to remember, and I, I, I've said this before, unemployment rates in the UK are the lowest in Western Europe. Uh, and there are, there are more people looking... Uh, sorry, there are more uh, job vacancies than there are people unemployed in the UK. So there is a very, very full employment at the moment. Uh, the economy is OK. I think that what we're seeing is that there's been a media storm, as we know, um, trying to undermine Boris and, uh, and undermine the government. Now that Boris has gone, they've only got the government left to, to attack, and, uh, and, and that's probably going to fall by the wayside once a new prime minister has been selected, which will occur over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, yes, there are quite a few candidates. There's probably going to be a fairly bruising debate uh, between them at some point and uh, we might get to hear far too much personal information about them which is co completely irrelevant to their ability to to um, manage the UK economy and the country but that is the way British politics works at the moment Do you agree yeah, Patrick? I'm really with... Sorry, Barry. Uh, yeah. Sorry I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Stuart completely on this I mean uh, having recently been in the UK, they're doing fine now. I think there there is fear about the future, and they could sort of fall off the cliff. But uh, you know, look, Peter, will 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 uh, Boris go back to the Telegraph? Will he go back to editing the Spectator? You know, what's going to happen to Boris? He's only fifty-eight. 
Oh, don't feel too sorry for him. Patrick, uh, final, final word from you. Yeah, look, from a market's perspective, um, you know, uncertainty, as Stuart was talking earlier, is uh, is no good. Politics have not really played that strongly to markets for uh, for some time, but it's uh, it's a problem that is uh, you know, distracting more than, uh, than I think a, a really long-term impact. Okay, well, thank you all very much. You heard there, Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets, Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, and our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Before I go, let's take one more look at the markets. In Australia, the ASX 200 slipping 0.2%. Japanese stocks, as measured by the Nikkei 225, up about half a percent. Cosby in South Korea, pretty flat now. Looks like also a flat open for the Hang Seng in just about an hour's time. Uh, do stay tuned to Radio 3. News coming up, followed by back chats with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast for today, fine and very hot. Uh, maximum temperature of around 35 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force. The outlook is for it to remain hot, very hot, with sunny periods tomorrow. A few showers in the latter part of this week. The temperature right now, 29 degrees, 74% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Sri Lanka's president, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, has fled the country with members of his family following months of mass protests over the island's economic crisis. Ashans France Presse says the president's military plane has landed in the Maldives. The BBC's Raiji Vadianathan is following developments from the Sri Lankan capital. There's a real party atmosphere here at Colombo Seafront, which has been a protest site for many weeks. And one of the main demands protesters had was for President Gotabaya Rajapaksa to go. Their slogan, their chant was go home Gota. Well, we now know that President Gotabaya Rajapaksa has left the country. He fled on a military jet with members of his family. We also know that the president's brother, Basil Rajapaksa, former finance minister, has also left the country. He's believed to be heading to America. Twitter says it is suing Elon Musk in an attempt to force through the completion of his $44 billion deal to buy the social media giant. On Friday, the Tesla chief announced he was retracting his offer because he wasn't given information about the number of fake and spam accounts on the platform. The lawsuit says Mr. Musk apparently believes he's free to change his mind, disrupt Twitter's operations, and destroy stockholder value. The first full series of NASA's color photos from the world's most powerful space telescope shows a section of the universe teeming with galaxies, some containing millions of stars. In one of the images, the James Webb Telescope captured a galaxy cluster, a structure containing thousands of galaxies bound by gravity. Another photo got the blue and orange ring of a planetary nebula called the Southern Ring, made of the gas and dust from a dying star. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson reiterated the, the importance of the project. It's clear that Webb represents the best of NASA. It maintains our ability to propel us forward for science, for risk-taking, for inspiration. And we don't want to ever stop exploring the heavens, nor stop daring to take another step forward for humanity. In the words of the famous Carl Sagan, somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known. 
I think those words are becoming reality. Back here at home, the hospital authority says some of its non-emergency services have been affected by the worsening pandemic situation, with almost a 1,000 COVID patients currently in hospital. Speaking at a daily press briefing, Sarah Ho, a chief manager with the HA, said this meant some non-urgent services and surgery had to be suspended or postponed. The city logged 2,767 new infections yesterday, including 211 imported cases. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Jenny Lam. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, everyone. On